This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case. And one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So I use the saw to split the pelvis and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. You're wanting to know more about saddle hunting? Well, check out TetheredNation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit Patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. And now, let's get to the show. Um, we're recording. Uh, <laughs> uh, what we'll do is I'm just going to get you guys to go around, introduce yourself. Um, for everybody who's tuning in on the podcast right now, this is the Public Land Hunters Hangout. We've got a panel of a few guys that uh, you've probably heard of before. If you listen to uh, any, really any Southern podcast, these guys have been on, on a lot of them. And so uh, we got them all, all together in one group on one panel. We're going to do a little Q&A session. So um, we'll start with you, Jamie. Just tell us who you are, um, how many big deer you I mean, you can brag. This is where you can brag, dude. Like, you can talk about whatever you want to. You can say... You can lie, like it really doesn't matter. Nobody's like nobody's probably going to go and look. So you can uh, just tell us how you got into hunting, how you got started, and uh, just a little bit about yourself. Jamie McKay from Lawrence County, Alabama. Uh, the whole family hunted. My dad started us out hunting, hunting public land. Uh, he was evangelist. He quit hunting, turned me and my brother loose, and. Uh, we actually got him back into hunting. Uh, we was killing a few deer with our bows and something he didn't get to do. I think he shot a few tournaments uh, back in the early 80s <clears throat> and uh, got him into hunting. He was with me, we was hunting uh, Samar Murphy and uh, we was hunting close to the road. So close, daddy was hunting so close to the road that uh, 
so one there's dust didn't choke him when they went by <laughs> and uh, he got his first deer with a bow and I was there to get to see yet but, uh, but yeah awesome Mike I'm Michael Perry from born and raised right here in Coleman Alabama me and my wife the little rat sitting out here on the second row we love public land deer hunting and going out of state some and she'll let me go on a big trip every now and then if I, if I do right so but um, I've killed a few deer and along with Jamie we've killed a few deer together I guess so, but we're doing pretty good so, but this guy over here he's I don't know he's awful big be killing big deer so. <laughs> but uh we'll let him have it my name is Wes Moy I'm a, from Atala Alabama pretty much self-taught I guarantee you I've made more mistakes than all of y'all I've made every mistake there is kept after it you know we're, I got a group of guys I hunt with now, and to me, they're some of the best hunters in the state. They're all dedicated, man. They stay in there with it, and we hunt as a group, which is a little bit different. We do do our individual hunts, but we have a group system to where the way we hunt, and it's pretty successful. We had seven hunting last year, and uh, I can't remember. One guy had to have surgery, Aaron. He couldn't hunt. He wimped out. He couldn't walk. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're fairly successful at it simply because we, we've all made the mistakes, every one of us. But, you know, everybody, if it's cold, if it's raining, you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it, and the guys are up trees. So, you know, I'm blessed in that part that i got good guys to hunt with me. And I've killed a few deer, but I'm just basically up here so some of their luck will rub off on me. <laughs> Especially this one and that one. Especially Jamie and what the heck? Michael. <laughs> hey, man. What the heck is that supposed to mean? He's just like, he literally man. took time out of his talk to talk about how especially Jamie and Michael. Did you see that? No. Well, I'm done. I quit. Well, you've seen some of they brought out of my oh, yeah. head. Absolutely. Yeah. They, 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 they killed some monsters. I, um, I've done a podcast with them last year, and honestly, man, I've been hunting 40-something years, and everything's been trial by error. But I learned from Jamie and I learned from Michael last year. So it don't matter how old you are, you can still learn something from somebody. Right. You know, true. and the water crossing thing with Michael, that's been big on my scouting this year. And then the bluff draws and the draws and the saddles, I learned that from Jamie last year and I done the scouting like, you know, a little different. He's 100% correct. So, you know, they added to my game a little bit. So, you know, I'm ha just happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can you guys hear me all right? Can y'all hear me fine? Uh, we'll just use that microphone. Y'all can pass that between yourselves. Um, I know you'll be able to hear Luke when he talks too. So uh, if you don't know Luke, this is Luke uh, Parker. His dad owns the shop, and he's going to be helping co-host and uh, kind of getting some thoughts rolling too. So Luke, introduce yourself if you can. Uh, yeah, my name is Luke Parker. Uh, I'm born and raised in Coleman, Alabama. Uh, I hunt public and private. Um, I've been on uh, – Parker's actually family, so uh, – I'm all, I always bug him. I'm always his either second or third choice to be on some sort of podcast. When at last minute someone bails, he's like, hey, Luke, I got nobody else. Where, where you at? So I bug him about that all the time. But I grew up hunting, fishing. Um, really, I, I don't know half as much as these guys do. Um, I've had some success in uh, both public and private, but uh, I'm here to learn just like you guys are. Um, but, yeah, I grew up hunting mainly. Uh, just basically everything, whether it be me hunting with 
trad gear, traditional gear. That's what I grew up on. Um, switching from that to compound, but I just I, I love being out in the woods just like you guys do. So um, I'm here learning like y'all are. These are the guys to learn from too, right, along with you know a bunch of other guys that aren't up here. Yeah. So. So I think one of the things that I kind of want to get started out with, uh, and I got uh, several questions actually through Instagram about this, and this is directed right at you, Wes. Um, and it's it's about this. You, you kind of mentioned it earlier. It's about the wolf pack, and you guys, uh, if you're listening to this, you can't see it. If you're here right now, you can see a lot of these guys in the same shirt. They all say wolf pack on it. And I want you to one of the questions, or a lot of the questions that we got are, what is like, I guess in a nutshell, what is the wolf pack? How are y'all breaking down pieces of property? And um, how how long have you guys been doing this? Like, um, the full wolf pack. We've only been together about three years now, but you know, for a lot of years, I hunted on my own. My dad didn't hunt. No one taught me. And you know, a lot of times you listen to old timers, and they'll send you way down a road you don't need to go. So I decided a long time ago, you know, let's hey. Let's take a fresh look at this outside the box. Learn it on your own. Went nine years without seeing a deer. I mean, it was a sparsely populated place, but I learned more about deer hunting, not seeing deer than I ever did seeing deer. Well, you know, and, and I got to learning what core area was. <laughs> Thank you. I got to learn what core area was and stuff like that. And I was like, man, I know that buck's over in that thicket, I did, but there's no way to get to it. If he's a mature buck and he ain't chasing the female, I mean, that's, just to be honest, you're going to have to be lucky. I mean, he's just, he's going to be sitting in a spot that he's going to see you, he's going to smell you, he's going to know everything way before you ever get to him. And I just kept trying to figure it out. And my son, Wesley, you know, he got a bait and he started hunting with me and he brought on Jerry and he just kind of started snowballing. I was watching on TV one time these wild dogs in Africa and how they start chasing an animal. Well, it's not the ones that start to kill it. The one sitting in ambush over there is the one to kill it. So what we do, say you got a large thicket, 40, 50, 60 acres, or even bigger. What we'll do, we'll, we'll scout. I mean, we do a lot of scouting, and we'll find the core areas of big bucks. We'll get the cameras, and, and then we'll inspect it all the way around, and we'll find the exit trails. Every exit trail coming out of that thicket, we're going to find it. And what we'll do, and when it gets the right time of year, we'll stay out of there. And then when it gets the right time of year, we'll all go set up on those things, up on the exit trails. Well, some guys are upwind, some guys are downwind. And see, that actually is an advantage because that old buck, you know, he'll smell a couple of us. He'll sit there for a couple hours and he'll say, well, I'm gonna sneak out. I'm gonna go back out this other way. Well, you got the other hunters that he can't smell. And it's real successful. I think there were seven of us last year that, and we killed four mountable deer, all in the 140s and one zooming in the 150s. And uh, you know, it, it worked really well. But you don't have to have this many people. We have eight people in our group. You know, myself and Brock, last year we just used geography to our advantage just to show you our philosophy. There was two choke points, and there was a slough and then a big agricultural field with about 50 acres of woods around it. So I dropped Brock off on one choke point, and I, took, I went around and got to the other choke point, you know, and we had them locked in. And then once we had them locked in, you know, it was just a matter of time before they start moving. <coughs> I guess it was an hour, hour and a half later, buck at 20 yards, I shot him. 
you had to come by one of us. I mean, and that's that's the general philosophy of what we do. We try to cage them in. And when I'm saying we hunt these thickets, what we'll do, we'll get to our spots and we all drop in at the same time. One side drops in, the other side had not dropped in, you're just gonna bust them out, the other side they're gone. Everybody drops in, you kinda got them in a thing. Well, that buck, he's smelling us. He knows we're there. You're not going to get by his nose. And he's eventually gonna lose his nerve, hopefully. If the plan goes right, he'll lose his nerve and you catch him creeping out the backside. And then we have Wesley and Jerry and Stevie, they usually go at one place we hunt, they usually go to the other place because it's too far for us old people to walk. And they'll go over there and I mean, they'll bust them. They're sitting there <coughs> waiting on them to come out. So that's the philosophy we use. We just use a group tactic. We just, we surround a core area, just wait for them to move. So y'all know, y'all know going into a day when you look at the wind forecast, you know somebody somebody's going in there and they're kind of do y'all like draw sticks like somebody's drawing the short stick or me I, I you know I'll generally get upwind where they can smell me because in my lifetime I've, I've dropped them and you know I'd love to see some of these guys kill big ones sure so it don't matter to me but at the other hand they will fool you and come right back up in, in your wind too yes. so you know I'm not losing either way but there are parts of it we got a we got one position called the back door. One always try to slip out the back door. Now that guy, whoever sits there, he's the one most likely gonna shoot that buck. And um, you know, and it's just we just work in a tandem. We all know where each other's at. We're constantly we're on Facebook Messenger, sending each other messages, hey, this walk by, that walk by. And at one time we all know what's going on. Now when I say we surround the area, we don't see each other. We may be a quarter mile apart. I mean, we're stretched way out. And I mean, it's not, you find an exit trail, well, okay, here's an exit trail. Well, it's in the open. Okay, well, that's most likely at night. But when you find the exit trails where there's a lot of thick coming out of it, where he can come out and cover, now that's the one you need to get up. Yeah. And you set your guys out on those things and, you know, and just wait and it'll happen. It happens like, I think, uh, Jerry, Steve, and Wesley went up to, what was that management area y'all went to that killed the two bucks that day, this year, this past season? Freedom Hills. Where? Freedom Hills. They I mean, y'all are bold. They, they've never been to Freedom Hills. Dropping names. Yeah, they went, to Freedom, <laughs> they went to Freedom Hills, and, you know, they dropped two bucks. First time they ever set foot on. That's awesome. Just by using a strategy of sitting on exit trails around big core areas and stuff like that. And, you know, they've all got, they, they're trying to move in on Mike on them. They've been, do, they've been doing the Black Warrior thing this year, so, you know, we're going to see how that works out for That's them. That's awesome. I'm too old to be walking in here. Well, Jerry, did Jerry kill a Black Warrior there? Yeah, Jerry's killed one at Black Warrior. Right. Yeah, yeah, a real nice one. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, we just, we tag team. And, and, and another advantage to it is I know what they know already. You know, Wesley and Stevie walked 14 miles in one day scouting the bank yet this year. I know everything they sing. I was sitting at the house watching TV. <laughs> but, they, but we communicate. Yeah. And we all know, you know, my son, he's already told me about a deer that he's locking in on, how, how it's set up and all that stuff. And, but we communicate. We tell each other what we see. Say you see buck signs here, well, it may not mean a whole lot to you. 
well, this guy seems the same buck sign, and that guy seems, and when you put the whole picture together, then it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But one guy scouting, one guy seeing something, you know, it might fly over their head, or you just dismiss it, or, oh, well, there's some rubs, well, he probably made them at night. And, but then you start putting the whole puzzle together. Yeah. And the sharing of the information between us has just made us real successful. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's a very unique way of hunting, but in a lot of ways, you can really parallel that with some of the stuff that Jamie does as well, hunting yeah. bluff gaps. Jamie, the only thing about different about what Jamie's doing a lot of times using other people's pressure is it's not his group. He's yeah. us, you're using the same, and a lot of public land hunters do that. You, you try to hunt other people's pressure. Y'all just know exactly where the we pressure create, is. We, we create our own pressure, we own, right. and we create our own thing. Now, before this group got together, that's the only way I hunted management areas. I know where everybody parks. I know where all the hunters come from. I know this. I'll be out there and just let the hunters drop and take me. That's the way I've done it. Yeah. You know, I've done that way for years. It was successful. That's just use the hunters to drive them. Yeah. If you say two or three trucks full of you little young guys pull up, they're healthy. And if it's about 20 degrees, they're going to be moving. They're going to be walking. It's your deer dogs. You just, you just <laughs> get up wind from them, about, you know, about 500 yards and just sit there and wait. Because they're going to get up and move around to get warm. And uh, I've had so many deer run over me by that, you know, other hunters. It's just Because, like I said, that big buck, he's just not going to do stuff stupid. Not, unless it's the rut, he, he's holding fast. But them young guys may jump him, hmm. and he's going to run right by you. So, you know, we use that philosophy. We use a lot of different tactics, and we hunt a lot individually also. But um, when we come together as a group, it's usually some meat coming out of the woods. That See, that is, uh, that is kind of what I was wondering, like statistically. It, it seems like a, like a tactic that would work. I mean... If even if if you're not being terribly picky, if you got a big open or a big thick clear cut, and there's probably a deer somewhere in it, and if y'all are just going out to try to kill a deer, it seems like that would be a pretty like statistically it's, like it's a good way to do it, and especially when you got people that's up wind. That deer he's sitting over them two and a half to three year olds, they'll sit. I hadn't talked to them, but here's what I think they do. They sit there, and I think they smell us for a while. And say, two of us are upwind, two of us downwind. They'll smell us for a little while, and I think they start losing their nerve a little bit. Well, they'll try to creep back out the backside of whatever, you know, the core area is, a big thicket or pines or whatever. They'll sneak back out the other side. Well, you got two guys there that he can't smell, don't know that they're there. You know, get a deal that way. I, last year, at Oak we had a big hunt, and all of us showed up, and I think uh, we've seen, what was it, 36 deer? We've seen 36 deer. I think we shot three or four bucks, one nine point, and, and one guy missed a real big one. And so it's, it's pretty successful. That's awesome. That's yeah. cool. I, I, I really <laughs> like that, um, just that overall, like, take of, it's just different. A lot of people are so, we're so secretive, especially public land hunting. We get really secretive. We get really like, kind of this like lone wolf type uh, attitude. And what you guys have developed is the wolf yeah. pack, which is. Well, I mean, it's awesome. The, the wolf pack name came naturally because that's the kind of way we hunt. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we'll get two to flush one out over the other ones. Yeah. Just sitting there and wait. Lion prides do it. African painted dogs do it. You know, all the successful 
evolutionary herds have done it. And I just thought, all right, let's try it. That's awesome. And then after that first year, I think my son, this was right before the, the first year we started hunting as a pack, my son shot seven, eight points. When it seven, eight pointers, that was before the new yeah. restrictions. <laughs> he shot like seven, eight points. Jerry shot three or four, eight points, or four or five or something. It was crazy. And I thought, well, we might be on something. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. So, so moving uh, kind of along, you mentioned a lot of scouting stuff and, uh, and, and this is a question that just came in uh, for everybody, and so I guess we can start. We'll start with you, Mike. Um, this is uh, yeah, yeah. You got to hold it up, hold it right up there next to your to your mouth. Um, this is for all three of you guys. It says, "I look for large doe bedding areas when scouting to tell me this is an area that may be a good area to kill a buck to kill bucks year after year." Uh, what do you look for when scouting that tells you this is a spot? This is a great spot to kill bucks year after year. So uh, I, I think kind of in a nutshell, um, this person saying, yeah, hey, this is what I look for. I, I, I feel like large doe bedding areas are like year after year, it's going to be a jam up spot if you can find those. Um, what are some things that you look for? I think Mike is, is a great example of this because I know a lot of your um, success has come in pretty close to the same areas year after year. Yeah, that's learning your area and learning where the doe groups hang out for that for that point that they were talking about. Then when the right time comes, they rut a pre-rut, these bucks will start checking and checking up the does and keeping up with them. And we're, me and my wife, we're just hunting travel corridors, kind of kept them doing that. But learning your area and know where the does hang out with. And uh, especially after the pressure comes on, the does kind of move a little bit to a little bit more secure areas and you need to learn where they're at. But and. Uh, that's pretty much what we do, but yeah. So pretty much like just what this what this person is saying, like finding those finding those does. Do you feel like Mike, your the majority of your success comes from rut hunting or uh, early season, late season? When do you typically find mainly, a buck? mainly rut hunting? Now early season we try to find a buck that's outside of our core area that we hunt during the rut, then hunt from the outside in basically, or maybe even a different area because. To kill a buck early season, I feel like you gotta you gotta be almost on top of them or really real close to them and, and and pray for luck because they're so hard to catch in the daylight. You know, maybe early season, but when they when the people start walking in the woods, they change gears. Things are different. They look, they lock down unless they're jumped up. So, so we keep our main areas where we learn where the does hang out at, and save that for more of the, for more of the rut when you hunt pinch points, travel corridors, edges, stuff like that. So sometimes the food might change a little bit to where they. Or else you gotta kind of keep up with that, but like a little pre-scout. But most of the time, post-season scouting, we figure out all of that. So where they're hanging out, they have the signs easier to find and stuff like that. So. Yep. Jamie, how about you? What are you looking for when when you go out scouting? Are you looking for like, let's just say, if you're trying to find a spot that's gonna be good year after year, or if you have those spots already, I'm sure you do that always produce. Um, what are the kind of common denominators, I guess, of those, of those spots? Always looking for a trail. Continuous scouting. Um, trail cameras, I got seven out right now. It's roughly 16, 17 miles of walking, bicycling, just to check them, get them out now. Uh, learn not to uh, get stuck to them trail cameras. You're not. Nine times out of ten, you're not going to kill that deer you're getting pictures of in velvet. When the velvet comes off, they're going to go 
two to three miles, but if you leave it in there long enough to get the hard horn, that'll be probably the deer you're gonna hunt. Um, during the rut, they'll still, I think they'll still come back through and you'll get a chance at him if you're there. Um, but the doe group, this is uh, going to the doe group. Uh, one particular area I've hunted, I've always walked through there going to where I want to climb. And on the way out, I've jumped deer or jumped does right in there or going there scouting, I'll jump a doe off its ridge. So this year I climbed a tree in there and I could have tagged out in one weekend for state of Alabama. I let that many bucks go in there and I killed a nine in there because that doe group liked to hang out in there. But yeah, trails, trail cameras, scouting, continuous scouting. What's your what's your go-to thing? So that's kind of a lot of the, I guess, rut tactic. What's your go-to thing before the rut? Like, I know you have had some success early season during bow season. What's uh, what's your go-to thing then? I still set up on all my trails bow hunting. Sometimes uh, that one particular year, I think I killed that big eight. It was actually a storm coming in that evening. It was uh, 80, 90 degrees. I didn't know the storm was coming in because I was going to hunt anyway. And... Uh, he, come, he was actually on his feet that evening. I stuck him. I made a phone call, come off the mountain. Uh, before I even got off the mountain, I run into rain, and it rained all night long. And I think that's why he was on his feet, but I, the older I've got, I've, I've realized that, you know, it ain't all about killing a deer every time I go out, because it's more of an observation to when the rut does get there. I'm, I'm seeing what bucks is in the area, see which, which way the does are traveling. And if I get up and move during the day, I'm always scouting in or out. Mm. And it's always good to be, uh, even on your scouting trips, not to just just to see the rubs uh, and covering ground. Slow down and, and pay attention to the small things, tracks, droppings, um, where they're feeding at, just where they're biting off the greens. Because uh, if you're looking for the big rubs all the time, uh, you're probably hunting something that's all nighttime anyway. Yeah, we've had interesting conversations, you and I, about um, hunting scrapes, especially here in Alabama, it just not being super productive. Um, and a lot of people get really, like, if they find a big scrape somewhere in Alabama, a lot of times, raise your hand if you've ever found a big scrape and like, yep, this is where I'm hunting. All right, now, I hope this doesn't prove my theory wrong. Raise your hand if you have consistently been successful in Alabama hunting just like that. It don't work. It don't work as good here as it does in a lot of states. And so a lot of that big sign, just proving your point, a lot of that big sign can be a little bit distracting from the stuff that is actually matters, stuff you need to be set up on. Right. Um, and I know, uh, I know each of you guys kind of have your own way of doing that. Wes, um, we'll kind of move over to you on that same question. And I think it, it, it is a little bit different because of the way that you guys are hunting and the style that yeah. you're hunting. Well, I know we, it could work yeah. probably We do a lot of individual hunting also, especially at the first of the year, because we're all looking for that core area buck. And, I mean, we'll spread out. We'll get do this. We'll do that. And, you know, but, you know, there was one time at Okamogi, and uh, I, I nicknamed her Downwind Sally. And <laughs> there was a doe come by me. Every single morning, about 7.15 to 7.20, I mean, I just got to looking for her, you know, and, but I left her alone, and every year she produced two fawns. So I knew that's, you know, that's going to be a prime doe one. And three straight years in a row, I killed eight points off in back of it. 
I don't know if somebody finally killed her or she died of old age or whatever, but that one doe. But you know, if you can find an area where does are successfully raising their fawns, that's, that's just a great place. And you know, and if you walk up there and there's, you know, 200 tracks in a 50 yard area, that probably wasn't a buck, you know, so you got a hint that there's a good doe area around. But um, as you're hunting through the year, keep up with your does. Absolutely keep up with them. I mean, if you can pattern a good female mature doe and you get her down to where she's, and she's someone that moves in the daylight, you will kill a deer in back of her eventually. I mean, she's gonna have, he may be five, 10 minutes behind her, but he's coming. And that right time of year, he's, he's gonna come. Could be an hour. Yeah, could be an hour behind her, yeah. Um, you know, and Jamie said about the scouting in and out. We do that a lot. Myself and Kevin, last year, we were, we'd finished the morning hunt, we was coming out, and we, we said, well, let's just go right up here and check this little spot out. And, um, you know, there was a heavy doe trail running through there, and I went, okay. Well, about five minutes, about five, well, not five minutes, about five yards off from it, there was another trail right next to a little slough. Fresh, big tracks in it, fresh everything in it. Well, me and Kevin were leaving that day. We talked to our buddy about it. He went back in the next morning, killed a big temple. So the in-season scouting is just, I mean, you've got to. Because those deer are moving, you know, them acorns drop. Them deer you see them right now, yeah, they're probably not gonna be there after them acorns drop. They're gonna be somewhere else. And, you know, Mississippi State's done a lot of studies on it. And sometimes, you know, they have winter and grounds, summer and grounds and all that. And sometimes it may be six, eight miles down the road. You know, but once you get, like Jamie said, the hard horns, once, once they get serious, once they get close, then you get one on camera, or then you start seeing one, you know, then you can hone in on them. But always pay attention to those does. Those does are the most important thing in the woods. I don't mean I won't shoot one. I'm just telling you, just a big mature doe, I will not shoot it. Do you, do you guys, when y'all are hunting those big, those big thickets and things like that, um, do you find that it's still the rut is the best time to do that? Or? Absolutely. Pre-rut, rut. You know, the little guys will get up on their feet. All right. We're going to go out of space on this analogy, but it's something that I've noticed. Any of y'all ever been around a lot of cattle? You seen a big herd of cattle? Mm -hmm. Well, say a cow comes in the heat, right? Every single bull in that pasture is going to be right behind her. The old big bull, he's going to be way back over there away from all of them. He stays away from all the herd. He's just doing his own business. He just stays away. Well, eventually, all these little guys are going to chase her around. They're going to chase her, just about run her to death. Well, when she gets really, really tired, she goes to the big boy. And she hangs around with the big boy. And I think that's similar to the way the, you know, you know I've seen spikes chasing mature does and just running them to death. You know, and then I... But once them big boys get on their feet, that, that stops, you know, because she's eventually going to move closer to him or he's going to come in on her. And, you know, the big boys, they don't get on their feet. You may see rut activities. Hear, hear them deer grunting and all that. Doesn't mean big boys are on their feet yet. But when them does get ready, they're on their feet. And it's just a small window every year. And it can change by four or five days every year. So, you know, you got to be there. And you got to keep up with the deer herd and you got to know what's going on. 
you know, you start seeing these little four and six pointers chasing all this stuff, you know, it's getting close. And, um, but the rut in Alabama on a WMA, if you're going to put one on the wall, that's when you're going to do it. It's either going to be the first day of the season or it's going to be the rut or it's going to be a fluke. And flukes ain't bad now. I've killed some nice flukes. <laughs> just dumb luck, you know, just being in the right place, right time, just walk right up on you. Nice one. So you don't – I, I, I want to know this. I know Luke's got a question here in just a second. But I want to know this, and I, I tend to hear this from a lot of guys in Alabama um, and a lot of people who have been extremely successful. One of our uh, probably most popular guests um, that we've ever had on the podcast, his name is Bobby Worthington. He's from Tennessee. And the thing that he said, I feel like maybe you guys are going to be consistent with this. Uh, and I kind of want to hear some reasoning from you on it. Um, that one of the things that he said was, if somebody's killing a lot of big bucks early season, they're doing something illegal in the South. Um, you said, Wes, that it's that you believe it. If they're killing early season deer, big well, early season deer consistently. Opening day, opening week, you know, it depends on the pressure he's had. If there's been people in there, he's going to be real hard to kill because – what I'll do is I'll go in the woods if I'm going to put up somewhere and I'm going to say, okay, I'm a buck. You know, i got better hearing. I've got better smell. And I can sure outrun these little fat white guys after me. I'm talking about the guys in the hats. Anyway, so where would I be? Where would I go? You know, where would I be to make it an advantage for me? And I'm telling you that some of the places I've seen big deer, I've seen one laying in the middle of a creek one time, Betty, in the middle of a creek. And it was about 35 degrees. But that's where he was laying. He, he wasn't hurt because he jumped up and run. He scared me when he jumped up. I had no clue he was there. But they, you know, they, they just, I've heard a lot of stories of people having freak accidents just killing these really big deer. Now, that does happen. You can just walk right up on it. And, you know, and luck beats skill almost every single day. But um, they, to me, they're extremely hard to kill. Once they hear four or five gunshots go off, unless they're rutting in Alabama, they, they, they hang tight to stuff you can't get to them in. I mean, they're, they're probably in the biggest brown patch. I mean, you, in my opinion. Now, they may have different ones, but after they hear them first shells, you know, and they hear about four or five gunshots, you can even see the deer patterns change, even deer that you've been tracking all year instantly changes you know they hear them trucks coming in the management areas they hear this they hear that they know what's going on they're not stupid and then bucks are going to get to one of the most inaccessible places they can get you know and they're uh, I, I killed a deer one time and, and i really didn't understand the intelligence of deer i did i killed a deer down in choctaw county one time and it dawned on me just how smart they really were we were having a drive hunt guys walked through and well about 15 20 minutes after the drive i seen a flicker out there i was sitting on the ground i kept looking kept looking there's about 40 yards away i seen a flicker what it was it was 11 point he was throwing that head down throwing it up what he was trailing the driver that had come through he was trailing he was standing back of there because he knew he was safe in back of the drivers and, you know, and that got me thinking. I said, man, this guy's pretty, you know, he's pretty, he died. But 
you know, it was just because I was just sitting there, just a freak accident. But that was a pretty smart little move on his part, you know. He's big old swamp deer, 200-something pounds, 11 point. And, but he was trailing the driver. He walked exactly where the driver had came through. And he was sniffing him. He, he got behind the drivers to stay away from the hunters. And I thought, I knew right then I was in a different world. I said, man, I have not been paying enough attention to these deer. They're a lot smarter than I thought they were. <laughs> and ever since then, you know, I just had to put in a little bit more brain power in it. Because yeah. I used to say a 12-year-old boy with a high-power rifle is going to kill the biggest deer. And they, you, it happens. You, just, you, you fluke up and just walk right in and kill one. But those older bucks, them six, seven years old, like these guys have been killing, they don't make good mistakes. They just don't. And I mean, that's that's reason I like being here with them. I mean, they kill these old mature bucks in a place that's way over hunted. I mean, if you paid attention to any kind of anything, the number, two or three things you hear on the internet all the time. They say the Bankhead, Black Warrior, and you know, that's the place to go. And these guys are some of the best they are there. So if they can kill them there, they got something going on. So, you know, that's, I, I, I listen to these guys just like everybody else does. <coughs> so, uh, speaking of, like, rut, did everybody, everybody hear me okay? Dang it, Stuart. All right, so speaking of rut, um, one of the questions was, do you have success calling, rattling? If so, what are the tactics that you're using? Are you against it? Are you for it? What's, you know, the percentage of success you guys have? I, I've rattled a few, not many, but um, really love a can call during the rut. rut. That can call, you may not pull in the uh, 130, 140 class deer, the older class deer, but uh, you don't try it, you'll never know. Um, it was a couple of year ago. I don't know what the deer ate. It was a good ten I killed, but um, and and turkey hunting. Turkey hunting's got me doing this right here, um, sitting up on the side of one of them big ridges, real quiet in the mornings. I let out two of the can calls and grunt. If he's on the neighboring ridge or whatever, he's liable to come over here and check it out. But I had, uh, I don't know, it was five six bucks chasing one doe, and there was a ridge over. I wore that can call out. I had my lip hanging out on that ridge over there. And about an hour later, I don't know if he heard it when he went through chasing them. Maybe he was cold trailing and heard me do that. But an hour later, he come right, I mean, straight up to me. I could have shot him with a bow, which I bow hunted in there and ranged where I shot him at. And I think it was 30 or 35 yards at a doe earlier in the year. So I know how far he was when I pulled the trigger on him, but he come straight to me. and. Uh, what got me on the can call, my brother, he had called several up one year bow hunters. I was whining because I have never called nothing up with a can call. And one of the gun hunts, I had a, he looked to be a good eight point. He got by me and I wore that can call out. And it was like watching a hunting video come up to our bobbing up under him limbs and I killed him. He just wouldn't, uh, the deer, I got way too excited. But yeah, can call, grunt calls, I don't like sense. The drags, putting out scent. It seems like if you old doe ever gets on it, she's gonna stick around, follow you to your tree, and find. She'll pick you out before she leaves. She will not leave, and I don't like doing none of the scents, pulling and hanging over scrapes or nothing. I've had too much bad luck. Yeah. 
Mr. Perry? Well, at Black Warrior, when it comes Halloween, I always have rattling horns, grunt call, and a can call. And Kathy's the same way, she got all that. I'm not a big fan of blind calling, unless I hear a noise or something I think is a deer and it's out of range, I try to get it in, but I've called, I've grunted in a couple two or three year old bucks and killed them with a, with a bow with a grunt call. I've had several come up with a can call. I've rattled in some young bucks, but I feel like the big bucks are always going to circle and you better, you got to have a right situation to rattle one in. They're always going to investigate and see who's in their area before they come running in. You know, you'll have a young buck run in, but big bucks is real hard, but I'm not a big fan of blind calling. Uh, wife's had, she's had luck, she loves that can call, so she probably wear two of them out a year, because she'll, she'll use them, but, but she's had numerous deer. Now, as far as the scent, and I'm kind of a little bit different with Jamie, but a misting scent, the, like a tank's misting scent, I've had several bucks using that when the wind blows, just let it drift. I don't drag anything, because like Jamie says, you'll have deer, dogs, or whatever follow you to a tree, raccoons, but I use a misting scent in the wind, and I've had several bucks that have come up smelling that with lips curled and stuff like that at the right time. But the right time of the year, you know, grunt calls, rattling, all that can be good. It is, there's nothing wrong with it, so I have no problem with it, but I'm not a big fan of blind calling. So, and uh, go back to the question about the people killing big bucks early. I run trail cameras year-round at Black Warrior, and 90% of the big bucks you get when it's daylight is past say uh, when the rut starts or whatever, you know, very, every now and then pretty rut. Early season, very rare that I get one in daylight picture. So if somebody's killing a big buck early season, consistently numerous, it's, they gotta be dang good. Because I've not killed them, I've not killed a four and a half year old or older deer outside of the rut that I know of, that I can remember. So, but most of them's in that time frame where they're, where they're looking for does or something. So, but I, that's it, so I don't, I don't know about all that, but that's, if they kill them consistent early, they're doing something. So. Let me ask you this, uh, just for anybody who maybe is here or maybe somebody listening to the podcast um, after it comes out. What would you guys say? We've talked a lot about Black Warrior um, today. I know Wes talked a little bit about you guys hunting Black Warrior, and really that seems to be like kind of like pinnacle of hard hunting in Alabama, um, just as far as deer numbers, the terrain, everything about it's tough. How many opportunities, you can just just take a, a guess, and we'll just do it real quick, and then we'll move over to U.S. for the uh, calling and rattling, but how many opportunities at mature bucks a season would you say you average, Michael? A season? A season. 0.5. It's not that. I mean, I'm not that good, but, yeah, it's, it's low. If you go back from when I, the first good deer I killed was when I was 31 years old, so you go back and look at that now. It's, it's .5, one or less, so that's, that's hard to do. So, I mean, it can be done, I guess, but it's, it's tough, especially there. So. But we also deal with hunt Okamogi, too, so it's a little bit different. But better success there. There's more deer numbers, but Black Warrior. Uh, Jamie McKay, about three a year. <laughs> is, that, is that pretty accurate? You have about three opportunities. Last year was my best year as far as seeing deer, videoing deer, and letting them go. I let... The nine that fought the seven, I was going to shoot him. He winded me, and I didn't get the opportunity to shoot him. The seven, he traveled about three miles over a week, two weeks later. Michael killed him. That tells you how much, and, and 
I tried to do my own X, a straight line. It's roughly three, three and a half miles. I know he didn't walk a straight line, but it's giving me more ideas of how how low deer density we have, what doe groups is coming in, when, and how far they're actually traveling out there in the rut. Because one of the big eight points I killed with a bow several years ago, a guy went to my brother's archery shop and says, hey, I got pictures of this deer in this area. I was like, ain't no way that's that deer. But now I'm starting to wonder, it might have been. Uh, but yeah, um, I let another good eight split G2s, I let him go. He got killed by somebody else and then uh, I did rattle up a 10 last year, young 10, I let him go. A particular area I found, I seen, I think in two days, I caught the tail in the rut, I seen 10, another rack there, three spikes, and like a three or four point, and a seven. I took a picture. I, the seven was close enough. I could take a picture of him. I think this is. I think this is good. Good conversation. A lot of you guys that I know that are here right now tend to find yourself like, "What the freak am I doing wrong? These guys are out here killing bucks consistently every single year. What the heck am I doing wrong?" But when you can really put that in perspective, of these guys who are right here sitting on a podcast, they got walls full of big deer how many actual opportunities they have, like how realistic is it that you're going to every single year tag out on three mature deer on public land in Alabama. It's a hard thing to do. And so I think that's encouraging for a lot of people listening, um, knowing y'all's skill sets and your, you know, I mean, you have spent a lifetime devoted to trying to figure out these big mature bucks on public land in the southeast, in Alabama specifically, and I mean, if y'all are anything, I'm sure you're like that. You're like a lot of us. You're spending 30, 35, 40 days up in a tree, no. and you're yeah. having all your vacation time, all yeah. your free time. Yeah. You're having encounters. I mean, yeah, about a 99% failure rate. 99% yeah. failure rate. I mean, that's. But you learn. Wild. But you learn something exactly. every time. Okay. You know, that's well. That's why I look at it. Ninety nine. Ninety nine percent of the time, you're gonna fail. Yeah. I mean, you know, to me, I never fail because you know, I may let a deer go. I may not say anything, but I learn something every time I go. Even if it's like, hey, I don't need to hunt here anymore. I've tried to learn something every single time. As far as the sense and stuff, I. I use no sense, and I have no sense. Um, but not, um, I don't use the scent thing. I got my own opinion about it, and it goes way against everybody else's beliefs, so I'll keep that to myself. I just don't use sense. Um, the rattling, the doe and heat bleep, can call, if the big boys are on their feet, man, I'm telling you, it's going, it is my son. I think uh, one morning, me and him, we knew some deer were, the big boys were on their feet. He brought in a big 10 point, and I brought in, I think it was a 12 point, doe and heat bleed. And I mean, they came in on a line. So fast, he barely got the gun up. And uh, that's the only one I'll actually use. Uh, the grunt thing, I've done, now I've done all of it. I've grunted, I've rattled, I've done this, I've done that. And I've killed deer grunting, I've killed deer rattling, and all that, but they're generally Two and a half or younger, you know, and I'm, I'm I've got to days now where I'm just not gonna shoot the deer anymore. Now I used to, if it was legal, it was going down. 
But now, you know, uh, three bucks a year, I haven't tagged out yet. Now, I've killed two bucks each year because I keep holding off. I, you know, I have big wide six walk by. Well, you know, what if that 12 point walks out after a while, you know? And I, they changed that rule, and I think it's a good one because, I mean, used to, man. When I first started hunting, like I said, I spent so many years not seeing anything. I mean, I was just clueless. And some of the things I look back on, I've done, it was just, I knew why I didn't kill them. You know, it took a little bit of wisdom. But, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm more to the part where if it's a mature deer, I'll kill it. Uh, I killed a six point two years ago. Most people say, oh man, it's a six point. Well, that six point was nine years old. But to me, uh, uh, it's a mature deer. The, the, the rack and all that doesn't matter as much anymore as long as I can kill a mature deer. Because if you can kill a mature buck in Alabama on a management area, you've either had a really, really lucky day or you're really, really good. And I, I prefer luck over good. You know, I'll, I'll take luck all day long. So that's my opinion on the sense and stuff. But the sense, I don't know. My philosophy on it, you take a man, go sit him in a tree. Let him use all the sense he wants. Take a bloodhound. Let's see if that bloodhound will go find him. The bloodhound is going to go find him every time. Well, a deer's nose is a lot better than a bloodhound. Plus, I'm a smoker. So, it, you know, sense not going to do me a lot of good. <laughs> I mean, I do. I'm sorry, but I do. But I set myself up to where, over the years, I'll set myself to where that smoke or my scent is not going where I, I it's going exactly where I want it to go. You know, the thermals and all that, everybody gets into the thermals. Well, I just watch my smoke. It's going down, it's going up. You know, I got a natural thermal detector right there. But I do. I smoke, and I know it's not good, and I know it's, it's not advisable, and don't do it. And, but I do. So I pay more attention to the wind than, like, my guys. Uh, every one of those guys right there hunt different. You know, my son, he don't care which way the wind's blowing. He's hunting where he's hunting. You know, and, and several of them, you know, they crosswind. They do this, they do that. Me, I use geography. I want to be up above them. And a lot of time, you know, elevation will get you a lot done. Like, I, I'll get way up because, you know, I want that scent to go on up and get out of the way. So. Somebody asked that question, too, uh, about crosswind, and I'm going to try to find it real quick. Um, Yeah, I mean, and you, and you kind of you kind of briefly talked about it, and I've heard I've heard both of y'all talk about this too, and I think it was actually off air while we weren't recording a podcast, but talking about just a lot of the terrain features that we have here in Alabama, ups and downs. You can't really you can look at a wind map or whatever, and it's just you're going to get there, and it's going to be different. So you might as well hunt. It's going to swirl a lot, you know. Um, and I think Jamie, I've heard you talk about this basically say the exact same thing and I want to hear you maybe talk about your reasoning why you why you have just landed on I'm just going to go hunt where I'm going to go hunt well as far as the gun hunts you only get they set them for certain days when it gets there you can't predict the wind or, or pick that certain wind to go in there and hunt it and uh, when they're ready they're ready I mean I'm going to hunt regardless uh, if I got a gun in my hand time he smells me if he's in there I done shot him if that's what I want to shoot bow hunting I try to play the wind a little bit closer 
because you've got to get them on top of you. Either I'm on this side of the trail, that side of the trail, or, or uh, setting up this side of the thicket or that side. But bow hunting, I try to play with the wind a little more. But gun hunting, I'm going where I want. I'm like Wes, because, boy, I'm going to hunt where I want to. And it's normally right there watching that trail. I try to hunt above in the in the morning, so using the terrain more if you got a lot of wind. Plus, I'm always trying to watch more than one thing, so you have a better chance of seeing something traveling through the travel corridor. If the only time I worry about the wind is if you're trying to hunt close to a bedding area or something, you don't want the wind blowing straight to the bedding area. But during the rut and pre-rut, I don't I don't worry about it. Like you said, you only got a few days, so in the mornings we're trying to position above where if the wind is kind of goofy. You're, you should have them shot by the time they smell you or something like that, most especially gun hunting. Bow hunting may be a little bit different, but still in the mornings I'm playing the terrain above most of the time, and in the evenings I'm always sucked down tight in the bottom close to, a, close to a face or something where I feel like they might be coming off of it, and, and then by the time they smell you, they're right there on you. So, but other than that, that's, that's pretty much it. I don't worry about the wind at all. But most of the way we hunt, you're far enough away from the bed in there, you're, not, you're trying to catch them traveling through, so I'm not worried about it at all. All right, Wes, I want to end the age-old debate on Facebook deer hunting forums. Do Does cigarette smoke spook deer? Of course it does. I mean, God, yeah, I've been busted by deer before, you know, and I'm thinking, well, they smell me. Uh, <laughs> it does. It, it, it's a nasty habit, and, you know, it's not good, I'm, you know, but I do it. And, you know, I burnt my fingers shooting deer before. You know, and I mean, it doesn't mean you're not going to kill deer. You play that wind right, I mean, you're going to be, you're going to kill the deer. But it makes you a lot more self-conscious of where you go. Right. I know Michael and other people, they, they don't care which way the wind goes. Well, I know that cigarette smoke's going to have to go at some point in that day. I'm going to have to smoke a cigarette. And, you know, so I'm a lot more self-conscious about the wind. I'm a strict wind hunter. I mean, I'm more meticulous about the wind. My whole hunt, starting that morning where I'm going to be, is when I get out there. Forecasters, they'll give you a little bit of like, hey, well, it'll be coming out of the southwest. Well, okay. But when I get there, and I, when I step out of the truck or whatever I do, and when I feel that wind, that's when I actually know where I'm going. Simply because, you know, I'll use the geography, the, you know, the heights, like he said, you know, get your wind. Or I'll just simply use elevation. You know, if I can get 40 feet up in a tree, you know, if I'm hunting over a thicket or something like that, and the wind is just not going to be in my favor, or if it's swirling, I'll just go elevation, 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 elevation. You know, and I'm just up there in a watchtower. But uh, yes, don't smoke while you're hunting. Just, just don't do it. I mean, I've, I've, I've been busted. Well, I'm, I think I'm you, there's nothing like being sitting there and you're all keyed up for that big buck to go, and then you hear that, <laughs> and I mean, you turn around and say, yep, smoke another one, idiot. I think the smoking is a little bit, uh, we as humans see smoked cigarettes as being like this really, really... Uh, we see it being like this really, really terrible but smell, but really... This is not promoting hunting, I mean smoking. No, sure. But, now if you're hunting around a bunch of houses that have fireplaces and stuff, I mean the whole wood smell like smoke. I don't think it bothers them as much. 
and you're not going to beat their nose. That's the kind of the you're point that I was getting to. It doesn't matter if you're smoking cigarettes or you walked into a gas station that morning. You're I, not going to beat their I, nose. I, like I said, I, it, it's an unpopular opinion of mine, but I believe you could put, you could bathe in every all this scent stuff, and wear it all in scent clothes, and if a deer walks downwind from you, he's going to be looking right at you because he's going to smell. I mean, he's just, you're not going to fool that nose. It's just wait. I seen a deer one time, and I got busted. And I watched this deer walk out through some hardwoods. I seen that head, and I went, yep, he got me. And he was over 100 yards away. But he busted me. I, I, said, I knew right, right the second he smelled me. And very, very light wind, probably three to five mile an hour. He's over 100 yards away, and I seen exactly when he walked in my scent trail. I videotaped the deer last year, put it on, the, put it on Facebook. Young buck, little spike. I seen him walk in. I seen him coming towards where I'd walked in. You know, I had my little alpha burrows on, all the little, you know, good boots and all that. But he stopped right there where I was at. He just, he froze. For about five minutes, he just stayed frozen. He backed up and walked right back out the way he went. And the only thing I done was walk across the leaves. I wasn't touching bushes. I wasn't doing anything. I had rubber boots on and all that. But he, when he got where I walked in, he froze. I sat there and videotaped him. For five minutes, he never flinched. He, did, he didn't know where I went, but he knew I was there. But, uh, yeah, just the wind can work in your favor, but it can definitely work against you. And, and these guys hunt the mountains. So, man, it's twice as important to them as it is to me. You know, I hunt more central Alabama, and I hunt a lot of flat ground. And uh, But these guys, I mean, the wind could be blowing one direction on top of the hill and you go down in the bottom, it'd be swirling all around you. So they have to be more careful than I am. Just like he said, you know, evenings you go low, the evenings you go low, you know, the mornings you're up high. Simply because he's worried about the thermals, you know, the scent traveling up and down. Because the hills, it's just a whole different world they live in than I do. I, you know, I I'm mostly hunt flat grounds or moderate hills. And uh, so the wind's pretty much one direction. Yeah. But these guys really have to pay attention to it. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Jamie wanted to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> you see how that worked there. Jamie's good. sponsored by every scent company known to man. Is he? No, not really. Not really. No, uh, I, I think we're I think we're getting pretty close to uh, being able to wrap up. I uh, just. Just as a wrap-up question, okay? Um, I'm interested to know a little bit about hunting gear, and I actually had somebody ask this question uh, on Instagram yesterday. They said, "Ask each of the guys," and they, they actually directed it towards you, Jamie, because they think they know what your answer is going to be at. Uh, but it was, uh, "What is one new piece of hunting gear that you're using this season?" Did y'all hear that? What is one new piece of hunting gear that these guys are using this season? You don't know what it is? I ain't got a clue. They, they asked it, I mean, specifically for you. New piece. New shells. Using a saddle, using a... No, no saddle. Still the same old tree stand. Dang, one of these days. The only new thing I got is some trail cameras, and that's it. I got a buddy got picked up a cell camera. Well, I wished I'd invested in that instead of all that walking I've been doing. I know 
the form that uh, Wes has got. I remember early in the summer, Haynes Riddle asked on our who all checks their trail cameras before season. He had a picture, and I, I, th I seen this one. Boy, I counted all the cameras on this, and I zoomed in, and I counted all these over here. He had like 12 to 15 cameras on, and he's out in the yard letting them check. Yeah, I seen Boy, that. I wish I'd have took heed to that. I walked one camera's two miles in, two miles out, then I went back in June and checked some more, and I had two more bad. Uh, anyway, altogether about 16 mile round trip, and I had three cameras that went bad. If I'd have checked them in the yard before I got started, I could have saved some <laughs> So, cell cameras? I hadn't got one yet. No, no cell cameras? Yeah, but the only, the only issue I've had with like cell cams, especially where we're hunting, Certain no areas. signal. Certain areas. Yeah, no signal. So, all right. Well, that was a, a fluke, whoever asked that question. I'm going to be like, dude, you made me look, uh, made me look like a fool. Uh, Mike Perry, you got any any new pieces of hunting gear that you're using this season? I do have a cell cam. It's at about 90 miles away, and it's working pretty good. It's kind of blurry, but, you know, it's pretty cool stuff. But as far as stuff I'm hunting with, the only thing new is whatever I load as far as bullets. That's the newest thing I have, so. I'm going to find something that works, guy, and sticks with it. So, But that, that's it for me. Nothing new. Maybe some new pants, but that's about it. Uh, cellular cameras. I, I got me three of those. And everything else, man, I love my Christian. I ain't going to. That good. Hey, you're used to something, you go with it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I, the saddle thing I really hadn't figured out yet, uh, and, I, and I won't. <laughs> because, simply because I'm just too old to start new things, and I'm afraid I'll be I'll be the first hunter hung upside down in a tree. So you know, I'll stick with my summit Goliath, and uh, you know, it's heavy. And you tote it through the woods and everything else, but it ain't meant to be easy. But I think that I think just new stuff. I just I just sailor cameras. I went to those. I think that's a. I, I was kind of really hoping that you guys answered something similar to this and I figured you would Mike we've had tons of conversations just about that kind of stuff and I kind of figured what your answer would be and I think this is a really cool important thing to wrap up on here is um, you don't have to have the best gear you don't have to like don't spend all your time concentrated on what kind of gear you're going to be using this season and doing all that develop the system and and find what works for you like these guys have done um, and I think you can you can spend your time way more beneficial. I can, I can tell you a story and attest to that. I, I was a firefighter for a lot of years, and if you've ever been working for a city, you know you don't make money. And um, first big deer I ever killed in my life was with a $30 shotgun, and I threw him in the back of a Mercury Cougar <laughs> and drove him right by the big four-wheel drives and the four-wheelers and everything else everybody else had. So it ain't about the equipment, man. It's just about the love of it and getting out there. And, you know, there's a lot of big deer killed every year, and none of them's killed at home in bed. Yeah. Just get to the woods and, you know, try to learn every day. But as far as the money thing, you know, I was raising kids. And I, I had no money. And I seriously killed a, it was a 207-pound nine-pointer with a $30 shotgun at five yards. He'd run straight at it. And uh, had to get some help with the boys with the fancy four-wheelers. They helped me get it over to my car, and I threw it in the trunk of my beat-up Mercury Cougar 
<laughs> and I drove out of there with the biggest deer they'd killed all year. So, you know, it ain't about the equipment. I mean, it's, the equipment makes it nice now, but it ain't. You know, it's, you can go out there and you sit on the ground with a little, just whatever you got. You know, you have just as much chance as that guy sitting over there in that $400 stand wearing that sick of suit. Sit, I mean, you do. And that's the good part about it. You kill big deer with them clothes. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I like it. That's fun. Yeah. Can you guys give them a hand? That was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And be sure to check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll see you here again next week. Remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.